we sing together. And I pray that you will say with me this morning, how great is our God. Folks, Romans is, um, is hard, and it is glorious. Man, it's a pleasure to be able to be with you here, where in Romans chapter 9, Paul concludes the majority of this section by saying, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. If the fact of the matter was not that the promise came to us in this matter, there would be nothing but sulfur and bitumen and nothing else. But praise God, that is not the case. That is not what we have been left with. Instead, Paul writes to us and says that the gospel is that of which he is not ashamed, but instead is eagerly obligated a gospel that is the power of God unto salvation, the very wrath of God revealed against men, the righteousness of God revealed in making propitiation for you and for me, ransoming back His people, purchasing our lives with the lifeblood of Christ. He is just, and He is the justifier. Abraham. Our father in the faith believed God. It was reckoned to him as something more than his belief. It was reckoned to him as the very righteousness of God himself, the power of God on display, faith credited to us as something more than it was. And having been justified through the gift of faith, we Rejoice! We literally boast in the hope of God for we were dead. I was dead. You were dead. Dead as dead. Born in the image of Adam. From dust and to dust. And yet in Christ we live because in Christ we died. Man, we've got to know our identity. It is of the most paramount of importance. What is a Christian? Paul says a Christian is one who by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a supernatural experience that we have died with Christ, that we are buried with Christ, that we have been risen with Christ by the glory of the Father in order that we may walk in the newness of life that is the gospel. That's it. It's a profound identity. It is not cheap. It is not something you get by fulfilling the rote. It is something that is given to us by a good and merciful 
God. It is life from death. It is calling into existence that which did not exist. By the Spirit we have been buried with Him in death that we may be raised with Him in life. This world is running around looking for meaningfulness in identity that it just can't seem to find because they don't know what it means to go from being dead to alive. Men are enslaved by their own being. Romans 8 chapter or chapter 8 verse 8 says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you Christians, you have a new being. For in verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. You have been adopted. You have been set as a son, as a daughter. You have an inheritance. The Spirit Himself is your guarantee. The very earnest money of God, the Spirit of His Son that is given to you through the death of His Son upon the cross so that we have a result where God will not forfeit what He's already paid. He will not forfeit on the life of His Son. We have an inheritance sealed by the Spirit to the point that when we don't know how to pray, Literally, when you don't know how to pray. When you just hold up your hands and go, I don't even know what to ask for. The Spirit Himself intercedes on your behalf. Man, that's a big deal. And, and I'm not going to exegete it this morning, but Scripture tells us that on our end, the Spirit Himself from our heart is interceding for us, and Christ Himself is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, so that it is on both ends. Profound reality. Therefore, we can say that all things work for good. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And so what I've been saying ever since we hit Romans chapter 8, and what I'll say every week until we finish the recap of Romans is this, are you called do you love? Because if you do, if you do, you have never had a bad day. Guys, I got to tell you, I've sat down with you some of, some of you this week. More than one. And I know it's tough. I do. You've never had a bad day. Never. Not one time. It may be tough. He is working all things for your good. You are called according to the very purpose of God Himself.
You are not an accident. If He saved you, He saved you for a reason. There is something bigger at hand. Salvation belongs to our God. It is written in Romans 9 verse 16, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Our God is free. Our God is just. In mercy, He hardens whom He wills, and He is gracious to whom He wills. Is there injustice on God's part not being? Not being. It's a fallacious question. All his ways are justice, and God's ways define what justice is. The good news to me and you and to anyone who will listen. Anyone who will listen. Is that mercy and compassion are not the opposite of God's justice, mercy and compassion are part and partial to God's justice. It wouldn't be justice without it. And when we looked with Paul at Pharaoh, God hardened him. He doesn't want to be let off the hook. He hardened him. And in doing so, he exposed a lawless heart that was previously hidden. He destroyed a man and a nation of lawlessness. And in doing so, has over the course of the last 3,500 years, showed mercy and compassion to billions Our God will not be accused. Instead, he will be glorified. He will be glorified for his mercy and for his justice. And so in Romans chapter 9, all the way down in verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. 
that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? For that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Here's what it says. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And you have been called according to his purpose. Here we see, highlighted by Paul in his own brothers, by blood, the Jews, the difficulty of religion. Man, Paul's heart breaks for the lostness of his people. That's how he starts chapter 9. I mean, he's just ripped up. He's ripped up because they have embraced a counterfeit religion. And the Jews, being ignorant of the righteous of God himself, sought to establish their own. They are not unique. (laughs) Southern religion has sought to establish its own. The Southern Baptists have sought to establish their own. It is a counterfeit. They did so because they lacked intimate, personal knowledge of God Himself and instead intended to establish a system that they believed would somehow bring them righteousness. They looked so, and, it, and they did a great job Folks, it looked so much like God righteousness that they were even able to deceive themselves. <laughs> and that's the thing that is so terrifying about what Paul is saying is not that they built a good enough system to fake righteousness in order to deceive someone else. They built such a good system to fake righteousness that they deceive themselves. They bought their own lie, the most dangerous lie that will ever be told. They had a label for it, printed out on the sticker machine, slap it on there. They called it the law. It was not God's law. 
Man, God's law is immutable, folks. It does not change. They called it the law. But the reality is, is it couldn't have been further from the truth because what the Apostle Paul tells us is that the true law is that Jesus Christ himself is the end of the law. Not that the law stops with him, but that he is its purpose and destination. He's its end. He's the place that it is going, the terminus, the point, the purpose. The true law always says both, that those who do the commandments shall live by them, and that the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Which is exactly what the word of faith always says. The word of faith. The Ramah. It means that which is spoken. It's different from word as logos, which means the intelligent word, that which is spoken intelligently. There's a fundamental difference here. Logos is the actual expression of thought. The word became flesh. The Ramah stands for the subject matter which is spoken about. And the subject is faith. There's a doing that's involved here. The confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Guys, let me tell you. And uh, Paul has set the stage. This is not legalism. This is the expression of the desire of the heart of the new creation. Let me tell you what the heart of the new creation does. It confesses with its mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It believes in its heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the doing. The outcome is that you will be saved because the heart believes and you are justified and the mouth confesses and you are saved. Now, don't fall into some kind of shallow misunderstanding here. You may think to yourself, so if I just do these things, then I'll be saved. Well, if you do these things, you are saved. (laughs) It's not if you do them that you will be. If you do them, you are. What you see here, specifically in context of the legalism of the Jews of their day, what you see here is not a formula to be applied to arrive at salvation. If it were only so easy. Instead, what you see is what is required for salvation. 
And you go, and, and listen, I, I know when you say that, like I don't know that I'm a good enough expositor to get this across to you. When you say those two things, you think to yourself, well, well what's the difference? When you say what you see here is not a formula to be applied to arrive at salvation, but instead you see what is required for salvation, what's the difference between those two things? Necessity does not indicate ability. Just because you need it doesn't mean you're able. It's necessary for a car to be filled with sufficient fuel to arrive at a particular destination. That does not mean the car has the ability to fill its own tank. It does not, therefore, depend on human will, but on God who has mercy. There are things that God requires of you and me that we do not have the ability to do. If we did, we would have all done it a long time ago. Instead, we rely on a God who is good and who has grace and mercy to give that which we do not have the ability to produce on our own. The very gift of faith, the confession that comes from the mouth that proves it. And what is to be confessed? That Jesus is God? Absolutely not. Guys, I'm telling you right now, the confession that Jesus is God is insufficient for salvation. That is not what the apostle says. The confession is that Jesus is Lord. The kurios. The roots kurios means power and might. Just bludgeon you, knock you flat, omnipotent power. It means to be the master, to be the owner. If you look to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 8, it says that when evening came, the owner, the curios, the Lord, this thing which we much must confess Christ as, The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. It's employed again in Acts chapter 16, in verse 16, where it speaks of a girl that was imprisoned by a demon. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. The reality is, is the confession of Jesus Christ as God and the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord are not the same thing. Demons confess that He is God. 
In James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and they shudder. Doesn't do a thing for them. Men confess that Christ is God. They do so, everyone, by the demonstration of their rebellion. All the way back in Romans chapter 1, and this is what's ironic here is, is that they're doing it without even knowing. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, Paul writes and says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, the reality is, is even as much as they hate it, the nature of the rebellion of men confesses that Christ is indeed God. That's why they're rebelling. They try to repress the fact that he is. And in doing so, against their own will, they proclaim it. But they do not confess him as Lord. They don't confess him as master. Instead, he is the object against which they kick against the bit. We sing Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage? The peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. That's what men are doing. And in the midst of their doing, what God is doing should terrify the natural man. This is why scripture says, ever much as it says, love the Lord, it says fear him. Because the way he responds, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision, and then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And blessed are all those who take refuge in him. The reality is, friends, is those that rage and every single one of us once did. I was saved at seven years old. And I assure you, whether I realized it or not, I raged against a God who in my raging proved I recognized Him as God but refused to recognize Him as Lord up to the moment that justice in mercy and grace came to me. The very fact that men plot against Him is proof that they see Him as God and a God that they want to overturn but they don't seem as Lord. Otherwise, they would not plot, but instead bow the knee. For anyone who understands that you are owned and you are mastered, understands that the owner and the master will not be undone. The confession of Jesus Christ as Lord requires more than words. You have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and that in doing so, justice in mercy and compassion was being extended to you and all who believe And there's a profound impact of the resurrection. If you look at Scripture, the apostles gave the good confession. I mean, Peter himself says in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 13 through 18, Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Guys, me and Damon and Marilyn have been to Caesarea Philippi. And there's not much of a better place to ask this question. Who do they say he is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elisha, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Politics aren't new. I mean, if you could give a roundabout answer, that's the one. He said to them, who do you say I am? And it's a personal question. This is not where you give the quote-unquote right answer. It's where you give your answer. And your confession. 
Who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Man, you're the son of the living God. Good. This wasn't revealed to you by men. It wasn't revealed to you by your own flesh. It was revealed by the Father who is in heaven. Shut your mouth. Don't tell anyone. Now guys, let me tell you, at that point right there, you either either trust that salvation belongs to the Lord or you accuse Him of not being good. Because what He's saying is if they're going to know, it's going to be because the Father reveals it to them. What a crazy thing. Why did he tell them to keep their mouth shut? He told them to keep their mouth shut because unsaved men don't have any business preaching the gospel. That'll woo you up. Unsaved men don't have any business preaching the gospel. It's not to say that you can't be saved from hearing the gospel from an unsaved man. But the gospel belongs to those who the Spirit intercedes for when they don't know how to pray as they ought. Man, these guys, I mean, listen, there's no way to do Romans without doing it. This is heavy stuff. You have a group of men who have the foretaste of glory divine. The Spirit is with them, but not yet in them. They are speaking according to things that has been revealed to them by the Father, and yet they are not yet saved. Now, on one hand, you could say that's spooky. On the other hand, I think it's awesome. Man, I got this class full of third and fourth graders, and they say stuff that is absolutely, positively the direct influence of God Himself. And yet these kids aren't yet born again, most of them. And you know what that does for me? It makes me very happy. (laughs) Because let me tell you what that is. What that is, is the spirit that is with you that will be in you. 
That's the mark of the purpose of God that is unfolding and is to come to fruition. Man, these guys right here, they're as lost as they can be. Jesus tells us specifically in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, just, you know, if we have to do the proof text, in John chapter 14 and verse 25 through 28, speaking about the Holy Spirit, Christ tells these very same apostles, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you do I give it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Man, Jesus puts them, I mean, he holds their feet to the fire. He says, look, if you had loved me, you would have rejoiced. But they didn't rejoice. They argued and they wept. Because they didn't love him. As much as they had been through together, as much as he had done for them, as much as they had seen with their own eyes, even life from the dead, the fact of the matter is, is salvation belongs to the Lord, not to men. And while the Spirit was with them, and was affecting them, it had not yet come to the effectualness of salvation. They didn't, by Christ's own confession, they didn't love Him. They're going to. Man, they're going to. But they don't right here. Because if they had of, they would have rejoiced. They had no indwelling of the Spirit. Just up the page in John chapter 14, in verses 15 through 17, he said, If you loved me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Man, they know him. And here's why. He dwells with you. He will be in you. He's not yet in them. He's with them. Man, this is the foretaste of glory divine. And let me ask you, those of you who are born again, whom He is in, was he not with you before he was in you? Was he not? 
Was he not dealing with you? Was he not convicting you? Was he not pressing you? Kevin, I like to pick on you because I know you can take it. (laughs) Did he not just drag you through the mud? Kevin, same deal. He was with them because he was going to be in them. That's the point. And if that's where you're at right now, friends, let me tell you what, you just get down and get your two big old handfuls just as hard as you can go. And you hang on and you call until the moment he says yes. Because if you're really seeking him, I'm getting ahead of myself here, if you're really seeking him, he will say yes. Every time. Now, here's the deal. He is not, this is, I'm going to be gentle here this morning because it's Family Sunday. This is not prostitution. He will not be had for the trinkets He can give you. He will only be had for Him. But if that's what you're seeking, then friends, you're seeking it because the Spirit is with you and He will be in you. In Luke chapter 6, we see the primacy of the heart. And this Romans deals heavy stuff. Luke chapter 6 and verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. How do you believe that which you cannot see? Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we haven't got to the internet messaging yet. We're working on it. I hope everybody got the message last night that Lucille Newton passed away.
20 years ago. 20 years ago, I said to Damon, standing right back there by that door, that was before it was all said and done, that I would preach a lot of funerals that I didn't want to preach. And don't hear me wrong. Man, it was Lucille's time. She needed to go. She was suffering, man. Bad, bad scene. Bad scene. The kind of stuff that they write prescriptions for liquid morphine for, which they just almost don't do anymore. I taught a Sunday school class that at one time had 35 people in it. There are three that are left. And let me tell you about Lucille. Um, in her flesh, Lucille had a mean streak. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not degrading her in any way. My grandmother Williams was mean. And I loved her from the body. She was my grandmother, Right? I'm, I'm not degrading her. Buddy, she had a mean streak. Like, let me tell you, when I, when I first started teaching that Sunday school class, I was 22. And uh, they didn't care much for a kid that was still wet behind the ears at first. And so I was trying to do all the stuff to ingratiate myself to them. I taught Ephesians. It was a train wreck. You want to save my bacon? Judges just as bloody and gory as it absolutely can be. They all went like this. Somehow, by the time we were done, the Lord had done something, and off we went. I went over to see Lucille. It was, a, it was probably sometime in January. It was about the time that it gets dark at 5.30. And I got there at about 5. And she told me, in no uncertain terms... Do not come here after it gets dark. I will shoot you through the door. She is one of only two women, including my grandmother, my great grandmother Annis, and Marilyn's mother, that I know for a fact kept a shotgun behind the door. She meant it. And yet, the Lord saw fit to give a woman that was that tough, He saw fit to give her apart from herself the gift of faith by which she might be saved. And having given it to her, she made the good confession 
over the entire course of her life that I knew her, which started in her 60s and continued until yesterday. (laughs) It therefore depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And man, He has it. And He gives it. And He gives it to people like Lucille. And people like me. And people like you. How do you get that which you cannot produce of your own accord? How do you do it? How do you love that which you do not love? How do you cling to that which you do not find appealing to cling to? Matthew chapter 7. In verse 7, Christ says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Guys, salvation belongs to the Lord, period. He hardens whom he wills. He shows mercy and compassion to whom he wills. What do you do? Ask. If you ask, now listen to me. This is the gospel. This is what you tell people that are lost. If you ask, It is only because he is already showing mercy and compassion to you. And brother, sister, if you want to ask, it's a foregone conclusion. That is not fatalism. What that is, is the certainty of a faithful God. Now, hey, listen to me, and you should fear. If you don't want to ask, you may be Pharaoh. So what's it going to be? Because if you want to, 
He is with you. Don't give up. He will be in you. Man, cry out to God. I'll be honest with you guys. Um, I used to think I didn't have a limit. The Lord showed me I do. Oh, preacher said some words, they chunked him in the clay. Let me tell you, I have a limit. He doesn't. He doesn't. I don't care what it is. From crusty old Butch Bean to 15-year-old boys. He doesn't have a limit. It therefore depends not on men, not on will, not on their exertion. It depends on God who has mercy. And praise the Lord that in His justice He is merciful. Don't wait. Come. Come. I know I'm preaching the choir. That's all right. Go tell somebody else. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. If the Lord of hosts had not left us with offspring, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. There would have been nothing left. But as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For everyone, even you and me, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And glory to God for that. Seek and you will find. Let's pray.